Welcome to the Medicine and Machine Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Madeline Ahern, and in today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Harold Kittler, who is a professor in the Department of Dermatology at the Medical University of Vienna in Vienna, Austria. Dr. Kittler is the founder of Derma Challenge, a 2018 startup which uses the principles of gamification to teach and train health professionals. As a dermatologist and dermatopathologist, Dr. Kittler has a unique insight into how future physicians might be trained in his profession. In this episode, we discuss Dermanaut, the 2021 expansion of the Derma Challenge software, which Dr. Kittler and his team are developing and using to understand principles of gamification in education. In addition, we discuss the competition between his algorithm and top dermatologists and how AI and physician competition can pave the way for future collaborative efforts. Dr. Kittler has brought a playful spirit to medical education, and we look forward to his many fascinating projects to come. Dr. Kittler, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Hello. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So we're getting started. And could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe your, your journey um, to your current position and kind of what you faced along the way? Well, I'm a dermatologist and uh, also dermatopathologist, which means I have a subspecialization in dermatopathology, which is a little bit different in Europe than in the US. My interests focus on dermato-oncology and dermatopathology, but also on uh, in vivo diagnosis, and especially the diagnosis of melanoma or pigmented skin lesions in general, and all in vivo diagnostic devices, from starting from dermatoscopy to confocal, and also um, artificial intelligence and machine learning. So this is my focus, and this is what I've been trained for, and this is what I do the whole day. And I think it's so cool that you're joining us from the Medical University of Vienna, if I'm correct, Austria. Yes. So, well, I've been trained here. I, I've been Viennese from the beginning and spent some time in the U.S. in New York at the Ackerman Academy of Dermatopathology, where I was trained in dermatopathology. So I did study medicine here at the Medical University of Vienna, and also my residency training was in Vienna. I said good morning, but it's probably not morning in Vienna. It's probably... No. <laughs> no, it's 5 p.m. So I'm a, I have an, a, a, quite an exhausting day, So, but it's... It's a kind of relaxing, yeah. concluding the day, speaking with you and chatting with you and your group. Yeah, nice. well, we're excited to hear about more about what you do. So the reason that you're on the show today is this really, really cool, you can call it an app, but really it's, it seems like it's a lot more than that, Derma Challenge and kind of all of the things that fall under the umbrella of this Dermanaut, which, you know, are, I'll link the description in the description for our listeners so they can access this really cool resource. But do you want to tell us a little bit more about it? Yes. Uh, and uh, the idea was uh, that learning is usually boring and uh, training is boring. And uh, we, we is my colleagues, Philip Chandler, who is also a dermatologist, and Christopher Frino, who is a computer scientist. Uh, we came up with the idea that the learning should be more fun and should be more gamified. So the whole idea was to create a gamified platform for learning and teaching. Of course, we also have uh, classic lectures, but the core idea is to have more fun and to learn and not, to, and not realize that you're learning 
And this is the core idea. So we have many games. And games means that we have uh, patches of lesions you have to diagnose and you can play against others. You can compete against computers and can compete against others and experts, get some feedback. And you can also monitor your success if you get it better and if you learn something. So this is the core idea behind Dermonaut, which is we consider a universe that is still growing. And we'll, we're very proud that we have many residents, but not only residents, also, also board-certified dermatologists who join us from all over the world. I love that, the gamifying of learning, because so I think a lot of the medical students that I work with could probably resonate with the fact that learning is very exhausting. Uh, I'm a second year medical student currently. We're studying for our step one board exams. And I was just sitting down to study with a friend and she was saying, wow, this is really exhausting. And we have some resources that make learning a little bit more fun. I think a lot of medical students use here in the United States, use something called sketchy where it like makes fun videos out of really like difficult memorization heavy topics. So I really love this idea of the gamifying of learning. And I think that's something young medical students wish that we could see more of. So that's very cool. I, I will say I did pop around on the Dermonaut and kind of checked out all the cool features. And I think that there's a lot of resources here for young dermatologists and even medical students. What, what do you see the usage of these resources looking like for a dermatologist in training? Well, first of all, I want to emphasize that the, we are creative, but you guys out there are also creative. So if you come up with any ideas for games, and uh, for example, a game for learning for the board certification, which is always boring and exhausting, we currently create a game, a quiz with uh, uh, board questions, and so if you have any ideas that could make Dermo Challenge and Dermo Not even funnier and easier to access, then please tell us and we will do it. So uh, we are an open platform, open for any ideas. So the usage is, uh, well, do you mean the uses of Dermo Challenge or other platforms? Uh, like uh, there are so many out there, but do you mean especially the usage of Dermo Challenge and Dermo Not? Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. that would be really cool to hear about. Well, so we, I think we have two kinds of users. One user, uh, for example, wants to learn about a specific topic and goes to Dermonaut and wants to enjoy a classic lecture on it. But this is the minority. I think the majority just comes to our games. And I don't know the situation, uh, how these games are played, but I can imagine when you're waiting for a bus or board and you have only a little time, which is what we call micro learning. Yeah? And you want to spend this time more useful than playing, I don't know what, uh, then you can play a game on Derma Challenge. And I think this is also what we heard that residents are doing when they have a little, a little micro time, they use, they use Derma Challenge for micro learning and just play one game or two and then quit. And that's fine for us. So this is the main usage currently. And um, also classical lectures and courses. We have courses for specific topics. For example, mainly now dermatoscopy, but also other surgery and so on. It's growing. So uh, if you want to have a specific course on dermatoscopy, because you want to learn more about dermatoscopy on a beginner's level, then you can also come to Terminout. And this is what we also offer. But I, that's not the main usage currently. Main usage currently is of the gamified part. 
Yeah, I love that. So you've kind of talked about the development of the different pieces of this application all under this umbrella of Germanot. Was it a solo enterprise by you or are there lots of pieces of a kind of an interprofessional team that have been able to build this really cool resource? No, no, it's an interprofessional team. We have three, Philip Channel and Chris Brina. And yes, we we listen and we we also we think we are creative, but what the creative energy comes from what we hear from colleagues. So we consider the whole department as the team and that the enlightens us and gives us ideas. But the core team are three people and uh, also uh, it's uh, the Derma Challenge belongs to the medical university. So it's we don't build a startup because we wanted to stay in the academic institution. So this is the core team and uh, without computer experts, we would not be able to do it. Uh, we want to keep it uh, as sponsor free as possible. Yeah? The main work is done in our spare time of the three people that I mentioned. And as I said, we consider Terman uh, out of family and whenever ideas come from outside, we try to build them and make them open to the public. So the ideal thought would be of, an, of a big family that shares their creative power on Domino. That's fantastic. And I will say, I do love a lot of resources, a lot of games, especially that you'll play on your phone or your computer are monetized in terms of you either have to pay for them or there's ads incorporated with it. So I really like that you guys have been able to provide this resource. And I actually did sign up and I kind of was playing around with all the features. And it was really nice to be able to do that without having to pay any money and without having to view a bunch of ads. I think nowadays when we're using our devices, it's very difficult to get get to the actual content and not have to go through ads or payment on the front end. So I, th I think that's really cool that you guys are able to do that. Love to hear that. <laughs> yeah. So I will, I will ask, it seems like you have this interprofessional team, but how did you get introduced to kind of the AI or machine learning aspect of this project? I'd be curious to hear about that. Well, uh, this is how I came into dermatology. I was, in my, I was a co-worker of Michael Binder, who, who was interested 20 years ago in artificial intelligence and uh, my first project was on uh, image recognition and so I, I, I fell in love with this topic because I'm, I'm visually more talented than manually as I always say because I don't want to be a patient who gets surgery from me yeah but uh, I, I'm good visually and this is a kind of it's also why I'm probably drawn to dermatology and uh, so this uh, image recognition and machine learning or predicting diagnosis, uh, image-based diagnosis always fascinated me since 20 years ago. Now, 20 years ago, uh, this was very different from now. So I also learned to code a little bit uh, and I fell in love with that. I'm not a professional, but I can do a little bit of coding. So, and it all, this all came together so the the connection between image-based diagnosis and the machine and computer vision, uh, I think this is my kind of thing. And so you know how it is. Now, you, sometimes you don't know why you like something, but sometimes you realize that you're talented because um, it's easier for you than something else, for example, manual stuff. So I took that because it's easier. Because I'm lazy, I took the things that are easier for me. And this is how, uh, so how I fell in love with... Uh, image recognition, machine learning, AI, and dermatology. 
what you're saying about image recognition is kind of a pattern that's shown up in a lot of our episodes. A lot of the people that we've had on the show have been people related to image recognition specialties. So dermatologists, another big area where AI is being used is radiology. Um, and these, these are really image heavy fields, right? Do you see there being any expansion like, you know, primary care or internal medicine with use of artificial intelligence, machine learning, even in these specialties that maybe aren't as high image density specialties? For sure. I, I mean, I, I'm convinced that the, the image-based diagnostics will look different in five or 10 years, how fast it will change. Uh, I don't know. Usually you overestimate the velocity of the of change, but uh, I, I, will, I would think that it will also involve the specialities you mentioned because we are all, and this comes down to one topic, which is pattern recognition. All who are diagnosing things, no matter if you're a dermatologist or GP or uh, if you do internal medicine, even surgery, we, are, we have to uh, recognize patterns in images. And dermatology is extreme because uh, the image-based diagnosis are so overwhelming. It, the, uh, the entire uh, speciality is uh, full of images, but also general, uh, general medicine or family medicine or pediatrics, but also internal medicine. I mean, it's not, we use our eyes most of the time. And this starts when we look at the patient, how he is uh, moving. Yes, this has nothing to do with dermatology. We recognize, we recognize friends on the pattern, how they move from far away. And we also recognize diseases in neuro neurology. You recognize diseases based on the movement. This is also pattern recognition based not on static images, but based on dynamic images. So make a long story short, uh, this kind of pattern recognition, which our computers are very good at, uh, but also we, but computers can help us, will be useful for many specialities, not only dermatology, from neurology to uh, internal medicine. Um, the specifics, I don't know, but uh, just look at, the, uh, at, at all the scientific work that has been done in the last three or four years with uh, deep learning and you will see the potential. Absolutely. In, in early medical school, we're kind of taught to walk into a patient room and get an initial impression. And I think that that's kind of that pattern recognition that you're talking about. How does the patient appear? Do they appear well? Are they, you know, leaning over, clutching their stomach? Something's wrong. And I think that image recognition, yeah, definitely has broader implications. I was curious as you were talking, you know, kind of about the potential of AI and medicine. And then I was thinking back to, we're kind of hopefully maybe, I'm hesitant to say we are, but nearing the end of the coronavirus pandemic. And dermatology here in the United States has looked a lot different. It's been a lot of telehealth visits. Have you guys had a similar situation in Austria? And how has that changed the way that you've practiced? No, no, we had to change because telemedicine or teledermatology was on the sideline and it was not very popular. Now there are, Things with, with the coronavirus pandemic, things became very easy uh, from a legal point of view, which were things that were not allowed or were difficult to do before the pandemic are now easy. So I think this, uh, uh, this pandemic also had some 
changed the, the landscape of dermatology. And it's different a little bit here in Austria because we have a very high density of dermatologists. So uh, probably the highest density in the world. So uh, a very high density. Can't imagine. <laughs> why that is. Did dermatologists migrate to Austria or is no, it? No, 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 no. We are a small country with many with uh, many dermatologists because we, we train many dermatologists and uh, we have a different system, universities are for free. And uh, so we have, it's not restricted. Uh, uh, dermatology is popular. And uh, so I would assume that Vienna is the, has the highest dermatologist density in the world probably, or very high up, whatever this means. The point is that I want to make here is that Tailored dermatology, there was not really a need for that because you you go out on the street and you meet a dermatologist. <laughs> no, but <laughs> no, no, but now it changed because with uh, coronavirus and also with, uh, because of other reasons that I don't want to be into. Uh, tailored dermatology, uh, the access of, to dermatology was restricted like many other disciplines during the pandemic, and tailored dermatology now became more popular. But uh, there is a fear. I don't know how it is in the US. Uh, I don't think in the US it's the same. But here, the physician community sometimes has, is not happy with when it comes to globalization of health. You see, yeah. there is a danger in that. Or uh, I love Google, but let's say Google takes over some health, uh, becomes a healthcare provider. Yeah. yeah. So there is. Not everybody likes that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, especially here in Europe, it likes the idea. So, and uh, sometimes they think that the, everything that comes with tele uh, is the backdoor for healthcare globalization. So, uh, there is a certain kind of danger in that, but maybe uh, it's not a bad thing. So, I'm completely neutral about that. But uh, there was always, and there is a fear. So um, let's see how this plays out because tele opens many doors in healthcare that have been closed for a long time. And some people think it might not be for good. I'm neutral about that, but that's another topic probably. So you bring up an interesting point because I think the way that people feel about telehealth might also be the way that people feel about the use of AI in medicine. Like you, I think you have a couple of different camps here. You have one group of people that love it, think it's the future, let's adopt it and use it as much as we can. You have another group of people, doctors who say, no, you know, the machines are going to take my job. That's a very like old style way of thinking, you know. And then you have, I think, a group of people, and I think this is a growing number of people that are starting to believe that AI can be used as a really great tool to augment the physician. So like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Inspector Gadget, but you have you have the superhero, the physician, but you also have these tools that are really helpful in making their jobs easier and helping improve patient care. Where do you fall on this spectrum and where do you think most of your colleagues fall? Well, I fall on the, on the, on the last end of this. I'm the, I'm the person that you mentioned at the end because I think uh, AI is probably not smart enough as a standalone device. In the same way we have not fully aut autonomous driving, even if Tesla wants to tell us that we have it, we don't have it. There are still wheels in the car, huh? 
Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so in the same sense, these AI can be very smart and can be very dumb. But this, I mean, it, uh, AI doesn't have common sense that we have, and uh, human intelligence is much broader. Uh, and of course, AI beats us in playing chess and go as a horse beats us in running, but intelligence is a multidisciplinary thing. So uh, we are still better in throwing the discus. What I meant to say is AI cannot act alone, neither in the car nor in, uh, in healthcare, but it can be a great support and to deny that would also be wrong. So I'm a kind of Iron Man fan in this regard. So the augmented human augmented by AI will, I think is the best of both worlds. And of course, you know, there are other, the other two camps are the AI optimists, they say, or pessimists. They always, they are both on the same camp, camp uh, because they argue that AI someday will replace humans. Well, maybe, but this day is not very close, I think. And there is always a kind of Terminator-like fear about that. So the machines are bad and they will destroy us. And it's always a, a dystopic view. I don't know where it comes from, maybe from Hollywood, but I have more the utopic point of view that machines will be gentle. If we train them correctly and if we use them correctly, they will help us. And of course, uh, there is also the third uh, camp who says that uh, first of all, AI will never be as smart as humans and only distracting and we don't need it because there has to be a holistic view and so on, blah, blah, blah. I think they also miss a point. Yeah? Uh, so I would say I'm in the camp of AI is kind of uh, an augmentation of human intelligence, completely different type of intelligence, but we should not completely ignore it. And though we, as has been proven in the last, and we could use sometimes the help of uh, another type of intelligence. Absolutely. One of the things that kind of came to mind when you were talking about that is the fact that there are a lot of challenges and derma challenges, one of them, where humans can go face the AI, you know, it's like a chess thing, it can be a dermatology thing too. And I think in a lot of ways, it's really great to, you know, motivate people to perform at really high levels. What do you think, what, what sort of purpose do these competitions serve? And, you know, have you met anyone who has beat Derma Challenge? Yes. <laughs> yes, there are, uh, I would say, nerds, but in a positive way. And uh, there was one challenge, 30 lesions, and you have to get all of them right with seven uh, diagnosis that's very very hard but after two years it was correct I think by an, if I'm not mistaken by uh, an U.S. dermatologist uh, and uh, uh, he I think he yes he got all 30 lesions right uh, and this is really I mean that's that's something and also you can beat the computer and you can play against the computer and sometimes you'll beat the computer and then you feel good uh, and uh, it's just to see how, uh, how the feeling is that a, a dumb machine uh, makes diagnoses that are as smart as, uh, as ours. Of course, in a very confined setting, which means the AI 
only knows these seven diagnoses and nothing else. So if you show uh, to the eye a brown spot on a banana, the eye will say, I think it's a melanoma because it doesn't even know what a banana is. So in this gamified, very confined world, it's good to, to see what AI can do in, uh, in, in a gamified way. And yes, I met people who play, who get, uh, uh, so how, how should I put it? Who play 10 or 20 games per hour just uh, to, uh, to improve the score. And uh, finally, they usually succeed because if you train something for 10,000 hours, then you usually get better. If they really get better in real life, I don't know, but at least they get better on the, uh, with the app. And uh, we, uh, we, we hope, we tend to think that that's a good thing also for real life. Yeah, and it's it's kind of funny you mentioned that like our brains, AI is a little bit modeled after our own brains. I can sit down and go through the same 10 lesions, you know, a bunch of times. And by the third or fourth pass through, I'll probably get them all right. And that's kind of how we're training these algorithms. But then hope, the hope is that the humans are able to take that information and go and apply it more broadly. And I think that's also the hope for AI. For humans, it's a little bit easier because the, the processing power is there, especially for well-trained dermatologists and dermatopathologists. But I think getting AI from that point where it's looking at a set of images to now applying it to humans or bananas is a little bit different. Yes, because the AI has no sense about the world. It's not in the world. It doesn't have common sense. So to, to, what is easy for us is difficult for AI. And what is difficult for us is easy for AI because uh, machines can calculate uh, very fast. This is very difficult for us. But uh, uh, I, uh, I can make coffee very fast, even if I don't know where uh, if, if I'm out of coffee, I can go to the supermarket and buy one. AI can do that. So the simple things are easy for, uh, that are easy for us are so difficult for AI. Yeah? And if we blend the both worlds, probably I think it will be, uh, it is a good thing. Absolutely. And I think, I think that, that dermatologist that you're speaking of, our Dermatalents winner in the United States, actually is here at the University of Minnesota. I believe, does Dr. Uh, Juan Jaime's ring about You are that? right. You're he is a dermatologist here at the University of Minnesota. So we have our very own dermatologist <laughs> on staff here at the U of M. <laughs> yes, I, he's great. I, I, I know he plays a lot and uh, he, was the, he was the first to, 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 to do the all 30 and uh, he can be very proud and you can be proud of him. Yeah, I, I have a few friends that are dermatology interested and I, I sent them the link to Derma Challenge and I know they all had a little bit of fun and we were texting back and forth comparing scores and it's it's just funny to see kind of the, the positive learning experience that competition can bring out um, in students, especially medical students. We're very competitive. <laughs> Good. Good. So um, I guess we can kind of move on a little bit to talking about some of the things that maybe you have planned for the future of Derma Challenge. I know you talked a lot about, you know, it's kind of a team-based collaborative effort and that you guys are always open to suggestions, open to ideas. Do you have any ideas in the works right now? Yes, we have many. So new games and uh, uh, 
one we call lucky streak that you can play as long as you make a mistake. You can play as long as you miss a melanoma. And uh, then the more lesions you see, of course, the better you are, for example. This is a kind of game we want to introduce. Then we also would like to have something which is called, which we would call individualized training. So we would like to have uh, games that are personalized. So for example, you are good in melanomas or pigmented lesions or pigmented melanomas, but you miss a lot of uh, amelantic melanomas or you miss a lot of nail melanomas or you're not good with nail lesions. So you get uh, an extra game that is uh, personalized to you that is only dealing with nail lesions or with topics where you're not as good as. So uh, this kind of uh, training we want to offer to our uh, gamers. Here in the United States, medical students use a resource. It's a spaced repetition learning resource. It's called Anki. It's like a flashcard setup. Um, and it kind of has a similar thing. You know, if you are getting something right, you don't see it as much. But when you are getting a topic wrong a lot, it starts to pop up more and more and reinforce the areas that you're weak on. So I think that that's a really great idea and a really great path forward for um, Derma Challenge. Yes, this is what we're going to do. And uh course we need to use your data for that so uh we need to know where you're weak and where you're strong but i i, I think that's worth it it is also um it also is good for us if we get some feedback as i get now from you and uh, when if there are listeners are using demo challenge and any feedback is welcome positive and negative I will say, so maybe I'll pull up my screen, my share my screen here, but I was working through, there's a piece of Dermanaut, which is called, for our listeners, it's called Derm Trainer. Um, I personally found this resource to be a great learning tool, and I'll kind of describe it to our listeners as I go through. But basically, what I thought this resource was like is, it's kind of like WebMD um, symptom checker. Dr. Kittler, are you familiar with that? Yes, I am. It, was there any sort of modeling from that resource for uh, Derm Trainer? It no, and uh, this the Derm Trainer has, of course, it's a general idea that uh, we were not the only one that picked it up. Also, Visual Digs does something similar, and uh, now it's just a symptom checker and giving you ideas uh, from the description to the diagnosis. And if you don't know what it is, just check. Uh, the just try to make a, a good description and probably the description will lead you to a list of differential diagnoses that make sense and we help you a little bit in in, in creating in, in creating that list that's it and uh derm trainer was actually the idea came from my wife she's also a dermatologist and uh, she started that five six years ago and uh, it's still work in progress. And uh, because it's very hard to balance the, uh, the number of input with uh, efficacy. Yeah? Yeah. So uh, we still have to find out the input is too cumbersome and you, it takes too much time, you will not do it. But the idea is, as you see here, to describe a condition and then the system will give you back images and differential diagnosis. So it, it has two purposes. First, 
it is a symptom check, as I said, but also it also is an atlas. Yeah? So an atlas of similar diseases. So the classic book is, if you don't know what it is, you open up a textbook and look for images that look like your, your patient that you have in front of yeah. you. But that's not very efficient. No, so, so this is the way to make it more efficient. It's a kind of uh, symptom-based diagnosis retrieval. Yeah, no one likes to carry those heavy textbooks around anymore. We're moving away from that. But I thought I thought this was so cool. And I, I kind of just want to walk through like sure. symptom checking. So when I was young, I played tennis. Um, and a lot of people who play tennis, you know, you're using a racket a lot um, and you're sharing rackets with your teammates. It's kind of icky. A lot of people who play tennis get warts. Veracrua vulgaris very vulgar. Um, and so I was curious, I was like, can I get to warts as my top diagnosis? And so I was like, okay, yep. I was a young female. I had a type, probably type two skin. It was a single lesion. Um, so we've clicked all those things on the derm trainer. It moves us now on to the affected body part. I love this. It is so cool. It looks just like the WebMD symptom checker. So I click on, yep, it was a hand, it was hand warts and it was on the palm that we, all of us tennis players would get warts. It was terrible. And so we moved past the body part and now we're looking at a lot of things that look really similar to a textbook. So we've got morphology. Yeah, it was an elevated lesion. Uh, I don't know, they, then they give us more options. Was it a papule, a plaque, an urticaria, a nodule, vesicle, bulla? I'm gonna skip all of this and go to surface change because I know it was papillated. We got round and it was kind of dome shaped. And I would say pretty sharply demarcated. And I was just really curious, can I get to wart as my diagnosis? And then now we're given color. So it goes from black, white, blue, gray, tan, brown, and warts tend to be skin colored, I would say. And then now we have options for onset. So I would say, hmm, what do you think, Dr. Killer? Warts subacute or slow? I think you can take both, but I would rather take slow. I, would, I think slow sounds good and pro, honestly chronic. Some, okay. some warts last for years. I'm sure anyone who's had one can attest to that. So now we've selected all of these things. I also love this, that you're given a list of additional signs and symptoms. So you can have edema, edema nausea, uh, discharge, all of these things really cool for diagnosing. I think probably a little bit more serious lesions than just a simple wart. But let's see if we can get get uh, wart as our answer. We're finding. Nope. I think you have to press again. No, there's there not. Aha, uh, oh, oh, uh -huh. we got Veracrua vulgaris palmaris as our top differential diagnosis. So I would say that this system works really great and is super cool and fun to play with. Um, so kudos to you and your team. Yeah, thank you. So you see it's work in progress because uh, uh, we want to have images for every diagnosis, which is still missing. And uh, also the algorithm can be given your symptoms, can be a little bit more specific. I think neurofibroma should not be in the list probably, but and focum eucinosis, not sure. But yeah. the, the differential diagnosis make at least sense and it needs your input to, uh, of course, it also needs human input then to make something out of the, the given differential diagnosis, but it can be a great help. Glad you liked it.
Well, I'll tell you what, if you want any pictures for Veracruz Valgaris Palmeiras, go to your nearest tennis court and <laughs> sample the tennis players because I can guarantee you they'll be the ones who will have or have had warts at one point in, in time. So, well, very cool. Uh, before, before we close out our interview, we have some questions that we like to ask all of our guests. Um, and I, I guess I'll start with the first one. I always say they're easy, but our guests in the past historically have said that these are some of the more difficult questions that we ask. So I'll shoot here. If you could go back and give your 20 year old self a piece of advice, what would you say? I would say, uh, what would I say? Be more creative. I mean, uh, I know there is a phase in, in life where you think uh, you have to be serious and, uh, and by creative, I mean playful. And uh, by serious, I mean, when, you, when you're 20, everybody tells you to be serious. You have to study seriously. You have to be serious. You have to make, you have to make a living. You have to learn something. Uh, that's all good advice, but we've heard that so many times. The best advice is uh, to be also, uh, of course, you have to be serious, but it's also important to still be playful and not too serious because uh, many lose, and I also at some point lost my creativity by being too serious, studying too serious, and uh, losing all the fun in life. So. Uh, what I want to say, even if everybody tells you be serious, um, think about keeping uh, the uh, think about being playful also, and otherwise you will lose your creativity. What's your outlet for being playful nowadays? Well, to stay foolish in a way and curious, and not to. Uh, uh, not to listen too much to bureaucrats and not to listen too much to voices that tell you you must be you. Uh, that it's, it's a matter of aim, I would say. When you seriously want to be rich, yeah, for example, or when you seriously want to win the Nobel Prize, or when you seriously want to create the new startup, you usually miss the point. Yeah? So I try to have the right aim in the sense that lets me, lets me be myself and have fun and still being curious, which means if I don't make it and if I, uh, if I don't make enough money, uh, still make, make enough money to live, but I do not have to make a lot of, and I do not have to be the best and I do not have to be uh, chief of a department uh, because this is usually not funny. And so uh, the right aim is to have fun in what you're doing and also in seeing something grow and others succeed in something you've started and also let things go yeah, and be generous. This I think makes uh, more fun than keeping all to yourself. And this is how I try to stay playful. And it sounds like turn off the news and go do things you enjoy is kind of yes. the theme of the hour. So our next question is a little bit more artificial intelligence related. It is, what do you think the future of AI and medicine will look like in 10 years? We kind of already talked about this a little bit, but do you have any predictions? We won't hold you to it. You know, but uh, uh, it's a good question because usually 
uh, you start then with flying cars or something similar in this, and because this is not what the future will look like. So the future is not that you at one point will open the door and there will be flying cars. This is what uh, usually uh, when technology technology takes over, uh, you should not add something. You should remove something. So um, what I mean is, what has been removed from uh, from us in the last ten years? Public phones, yeah. or or waiting in a line for a ticket, <laughs> or I don't know what. So uh, things that are unnecessary have been removed. And I would say, uh, when I think about the future in AI, I would say uh, uh, waiting anywhere in a hospital huh? or uh, making an, an appointment should be much easier in the future uh, because some smart algorithm in the back will know who is in charge, who has time, who can solve my problem and will probably connect me immediately with somebody who's there and maybe on the other side of the planet. Uh, and uh, I, and uh, I think what I mean is uh, the access to healthcare should be much easier than it is now and hopefully for much more people than it is now. So uh, in my utopic thinking, I would say that access to healthcare is one of the great promises that we can improve with AI. It doesn't matter if we are already very good in diagnosing so many things, but access yeah, for all to specialists can be improved, especially by, the, by new technology. I love that idea of you know, technology has the goal of removing something, you know, removing, whether it be removing the wait time, or there are even companies, startups that are, you know, using AI to help physicians with charting, like removing kind of the, the difficulty of the waiting of day-to-day -day living, kind of the minutia, the little things. Um, I think that that is a great direction for AI. And we always say 10 years, but technology moves so slowly. I mean, you mentioned Tesla earlier, the, the path to getting self-driving cars has been like probably more than 50 years in the making. Um, so I think, I think maybe we should bump that up to 20 years to see any real progress, but. Um. We always, mostly we overestimate uh, the uh, velocity of how things change. I mean, uh, it's not that you wake up one day and everything has changed. It slowly uh, uh, trickles into our daily life. And uh, usually, of course, now it's much faster than it was for grandmothers and grandfathers, but it still is not that you wake up and everything's different. Yeah, I remember when I used to call friends on the, the corded phone that hung on the wall. And when you'd have to go anywhere, you'd have to print out the MapQuest directions and bring them with you. And it does feel like that transition from that to the smartphone happened really quickly. Um, but other things are a little bit slower. So, well, I have one last question for you. And we have a lot of listeners in very different parts of life. We have listeners who are physicians or in industry. We also have listeners who are medical students or people up and coming in their career. What general advice would you give to the people listening to our podcast today? Um, I can only repeat what I already said. I would use the same advice I gave to, I, I try to give to me that is 
and don't become a bureaucrat, whatever you do, and don't uh, uh, stay foolish and uh, uh, experiment, uh, do experiments even with your with yourself. Sometimes, especially when you're young, you don't know what where your talents are. You have to find out, and sometimes it's uh, it's not a mistake to be distracted for some time because you have to find out uh, what what your thing is. And uh, the second advice is uh, be generous and uh, also think how others think about your ideas and how others uh, uh, think. And by being generous, I also mean by being generous with your ideas, but also by being generous with your time and uh, uh, teaching uh, others and helping others and succeeding can be so uh, satisfying for you that you will get much more out of it, usually more out of it than you give. I love that so much. So be creative, have fun, and be generous. Those are great pieces of advice. I think with that, we'll close out our podcast today. Dr. Kittler, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me.